0: Well, I want to, again, first and foremost, thank each and every one of you who invests in someone else and lives their lives out for someone else. I hope you are honored today for all that you are and all that you do. Because here at the church, and hopefully in your lives, we are in the business of seeing lives changed. That, that is our desire, and God, I truly believe, is using each and every one of you moms, dads, aunts, uncles, everyone in here to do just that, to invest in lives and see lives changed. And today's passage that we're going to be looking at today, we'll continue that. Like I said, if you have your Bible or digital device with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. This QR code right here should throw you up. If you take a picture of it, it'll take you to the CSB of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3, and you can go to that as we do. Today, we continue what we did last week in Ephesians chapter 3. With the revealed mystery, well, today is the ministry of that mystery. And we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. As a matter of fact, we only have two weeks left of our Made Worthy series. And we have two weeks left. We're going to be 7 through 13 today. We're going to be 14 through 21 next week. We're going to be doing something a little bit different at the park on Memorial Day. And then we kick off our response to the first three chapters of Ephesians, where it said we're made worthy. And we respond by walking worthy. And we start that on June 4th. We hope you can be a part of that with us. Today, we pick up where we left off last week after I had scooby doo you. And if you were here last week, I left you with a to be continued. And that to be continued was after Paul had revealed the mystery. He was about to tell us what to do with it. The revelation of the mystery that Paul revealed was this. In verse six, the Gentiles are co-heirs members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He reveals the mystery, but the big question I left you with was, what do we do with it? What do we do with it now that we know it? And Paul answered that in our next session, picking up in verse seven. Here's what he says. He says, I was made a servant. I was made a minister of the gospel. Which gospel? Well, the gospel that he just revealed that brought together those Jews and Gentiles to make Gentiles co-heirs, that mystery revealed in verse 6. How did that happen? How did God do it? By the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me. The least of all the saints to proclaim or to preach to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery of the hidden for, that's been hidden in the ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be now made known through the church and to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. This is according to His eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for you, or they are your glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are again. Thank you for your word that preserved that we could dive into it. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and also wrote to us, that we could be challenged as we've been made worthy, and now we take that out. We pray it in your name. Amen. One of the key themes that we see in the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians, is that God is building a new community of people, a new community of people made up of all tribes and all tongues. You see, in the Old Testament, God had chosen the Jewish people as his people, and if a Gentile wanted to become part of God's family, he had to go through a huge conversion process that didn't even quite allow him to be fully Jewish, but at least got him in the door. This choosing created a division a great division between the jews and the gentiles we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks the the really the hatred and the bigotry and the racism that was in in all of that but the cool thing is is one phrase that we've used throughout the book of ephesians has been but god but god but god had his plans unfold and revealed them in the new testament through his son jesus And that plan was this new community that was formed, that was made up of both Jew and Gentile, a new community known as the church. Christians, followers of the way. As John Piper put it in his description of the letter of Ephesians, he said, God is calling all people to move from alienated bloodlines of race and and ethnicity into the one bloodline of Jesus Christ. We're being moved into that one bloodline of Jesus Christ. And Paul had this truth revealed to him. And then he was made a servant. He was made a minister or minister there is the one that we get our word for in the church called deacon. And deacon means one who serves. So Paul's actually approaching his ministry here, not from a status of, hey, look, I'm Paul. But instead, hey, I am a servant of Jesus, and I was made a servant by Jesus. He is serving others with the gospel that have been brought together and brought people together through Jesus Christ. The next phrase is an important one because it says, by the gift of God's grace. Why does Paul serve? Why does Paul serve? He serves according to the gift of God's grace. nobody's you know what he's telling us? It wasn't his own doing. It wasn't His own power and his own choosing. As a matter of fact, he'd already been there and done that as a Pharisee. He'd already tried his hardest to do his own thing as a Pharisee. He'd already tried to destroy Christianity in his own power and his own ability. As a matter of fact, when he was on the other side, he despised Christ. And he despised Christians. Obviously, God didn't pick Paul because of the good things that he was doing. Now, Paul comes back to this thing that we've talked about really even since Easter, and that is grace. Grace. God made Paul a servant. It was only by the grace of God that Paul's life was changed. He didn't go about doing it on his own, and God God used Paul. I mean, stop and think about it for just a second. He is a key messenger of the early days of the church. He brought the gospel to them. The the chances of us hearing the gospel is because Paul was willing. Think about that for just a second, who God chooses to use. And Paul realized it. He realized that there was no way that he could do it on his own. He couldn't do it without the grace of God or without the working of God's power in him and through him. Here's the truth that we have to grasp Paul wasn't any different than any single one of us. He was a sinner that was saved by grace. He was a willing participant that was open to be used by God. See, God provided the opportunity. God provided the ability. God provided the courage. God provided the power. All Paul was was willing and open to be used as a servant to see the results that God would do. And you might think, well, I'm no Paul. I'm no Paul. But before we put Paul on a pedestal, you know, we know people call him Saint Paul we put him up on this pedestal. Before we put him on that pedestal, let's read what he says in verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of the saints, to proclaim or to preach to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. This grace, what grace is it that he's talking about? The one that God had given to him. Who is him? He says, me, the guy who is the most unimportant most insignificant most small nobody among all christians that's how paul describes himself as a matter of fact the best translation is he says he is the least of the least or even clearer translation that we don't use he uses the word leaster he's leaster than the least and when you really stop and think about that you might be like well maybe he's just putting on some false humility to try and get people to to feel sorry for him you you know people that do that no, 1 Timothy 1.15, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I'm the least among the apostles. Why would he say this? Well, I think he would say this because he knows. He knows how great a sinner that he was. As, as one of those old, dead, super amazing theologians once said, he said this, the more we know Christ, the more we see ourselves and how sinful we are because the closer we get to the light, the more the light reveals about our sinfulness. Paul knew how great a sinner he was as he tried to to destroy the Jesus movement, as he tried to destroy the church, as he tried to be all that he could be as a Pharisee in his own power. You know what? That weighed on him. That weighed on him. He, He had to be thinking about that. But again, those two words, but God, through his grace, forgave Paul's sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, and Paul knew that he didn't deserve it. He considered it a huge privilege to be given the opportunity and be entrusted to take the message of the gospel into a lost and dying world. He saw that as a privilege. He deserved God's wrath. He deserved hell. He deserved nothing positive from God but God. In his amazing grace, called Paul to salvation and to servanthood and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. What an amazing thing. But what was he supposed to preach? Well, two things he mentions verse is at the end of verse eight he says i'm to preach the incalculable riches of christ to be honest the verse could be a sermon on its own the more i studied i'm like i gotta stop or we're gonna go really long on mother's day and everybody wants to go to lunch the incalculable riches of christ the word incalculable means cannot be adequately explained or ever fully understood the description of riches of christ fall into this category I mean, when you really stop and think about it, it blows our mind. They're beyond description, these riches. As a matter of fact, I read the word incalculable. My guess is if you have a different translation, you have a different word because the people who translated this, I think they were actually fighting to see what was the most amazing word they could possibly use in here. Here's the different translations they had. One was unsearchable, inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable inexhaustible, inscrutable, illimitable. You can't create a a list. You can't quantify it because there is no end. The best way I found in the the reading that I did, somebody described it this way. It's like the ocean and the waves in the ocean. How many waves are in the ocean? The answer is, it's infinite because the waves just keep on coming. You want to know about the riches of God's grace? You want to know about the riches of Jesus Christ? It's an infinitive. They just keep coming. And as we begin to see that, we have to understand these things are found in Christ. Not in following rules, not in following regula- regulations, not in following rituals. It's found in following Christ. And he gives those riches that anybody would call on upon his name for their salvation. How amazing is that? And look how he gives to our needs. We've been going through Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 for the last, what, eight weeks, nine weeks? Well, he gives us just a glimpse in those. When we very first started before God, what do we need? We need redemption, and we need a forgiveness. Well, if you look at chapter 1, verses eight and nine, or 7 and 8, it says this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that He he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Before God, we needed love. We needed holiness. Well, guess what verses four and five of chapter one say? For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Before God, we needed a purpose in this life. How many people wander in this life without a purpose? But listen to what it says in verse 9 of chapter 1. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And then if you go jump over to verse 10 of chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We needed an eternal inheritance. The riches came. He predestined us to obtain that inheritance in Christ, as it says in 111. It says that we have obtained that inheritance. 114 says he added the Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a pledge of that inheritance. We need hope. Well, guess what? God made us co-heirs of the promise of Christ through the gospel. We need power. The surpassing greatness of his power was brought to us from death to life. We needed life. He raised us from death to life. We needed peace with God and with each other. Guess what? He became our peace. We need access to God for all of our needs. Christ has access through the Spirit to the Father. This is just a tip of the iceberg. These are just some of the riches that have been poured out on us that we have in Christ. But as one commentator put it, he put it this way, the riches riches that are listed in Ephesians are just a snowflake in comparison to all the snow that has ever fallen and ever will fall. Just let, let your mind wrap around that. And the best part is is that they're offered to anyone, any sinner who will accept the gift of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing I could keep going. I told you this is an entire sermon on itself, but here's what we must see it's not about just knowing the incalculable riches, these inexhaustible riches, it's about preaching them. It's about proclaiming them. What does that mean? What does it mean to preach or proclaim the incalculable riches of Christ? Well, first it means preach Jesus himself. It means proclaim Jesus with our lives. The essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to earth to do. That is the gospel. The gospel is not about what we do or even what Christ calls us to do. Even though we will see that as we look further into Ephesians, that's not first and foremost the gospel. That's our response to the gospel it also means in preaching or proclaiming to preach the saving riches found in Christ do you understand that God has done everything necessary to save a sinner like you and me he's done everything necessary he sent his son into the sin filled world to save sinners we just have to preach it we just have to proclaim it it means preaching the sanctifying riches that are found in Christ we are saved by by the blood of Jesus And when we're saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and works in us to make us more like Christ every day. Isn't that awesome? It means preach the glorifying riches found in Christ. Through our surrendered lives, guess what? God gets the glory. God gets the glory, and then we get to bask in that glory for all of eternity. How amazing is that? And again, just the tip of the iceberg just the tip of the iceberg but this was the message that paul was willing to become a servant to take to the people to take this message to a people that needed to hear it like you and like me for those who say i'm no paul i can't do that that's not true don't say i can't do that say i'm not willing to do that because all that is different between those who won't and those who do is a willingness paul was willing and by the way We'll go to that infomercial t- statement. There's more. There's more. Because that's just the first thing he tells us to preach. The second thing he tells us to preach is found in the beginning of verse 9. He says, And I preach this to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The second part of Paul's ministry is to do what? It's to bring to light the plan of God. The plan of God from the very beginning. The plan that had not been revealed to the Old Testament prophets as we talked about a couple of weeks ago and last week. But instead, he wants to share what God has revealed. That there is a new community, a church that comes together to encourage each other, to to do all the things, to become one bloodline, as John Piper says, in Christ. See, Paul was was made a servant. He was made a minister and is preaching the good news of these incalculable riches to proclaim that we are one in Christ, united in Christ in those riches, and he's doing what he was called to do. You know, we've said this many times in the church. One of the statements in the Westminster Catechism is this. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. And we do that by preaching the riches of Christ to a lost world. We do that by investing our lives into others, by building up his body. That is the overall purpose for mankind. But can I ask you this question? Have you ever kicked around this idea before? My guess is our graduates are right in the middle of it right now. What is God's plan for your life? What is God's plan for my life? The grand picture is to glorify him, but what about me as an individual? On that individual basis, what is God's plan? What is God's plan for me? And that's a great question to ask God about Do Think about Paul's willingness to do what God had called him to do, and he did it. He was totally and radically committed to God's plan and to God's will. What if we were that committed? I think it was D.L. Moody that said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to Him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. How would your world be changed? So as we look back, last week we started this ADD rabbit trail that, that Paul got. He started talking about how he was going to pray for them, but took this little side note to encourage them about this mystery and the mystery that was real. He hasn't said why. Why would God do this? He hasn't told us the purpose of this mystery. He hasn't told us why God chose to join Jews and Gentiles together in one body of the church. I mean, have you ever asked the question, why does the church exist in the first place? Why does the church exist? Now, if you were with us at the beginning of the year, we talked about a why series. And we talked about all the things that we do. And we talked about why we are called to make disciples of all nations. We are talk, It's called, talked about how we are called to worship and glorify God both individually in our lives as well as corporately together here on Sunday mornings. Yes, we're also supposed to build one another up. And we're supposed to encourage one another. And there's 50 some odd other one another's in the Bible that we're supposed to do to one another. But why? Well, verse 10 and 11 actually answer that question. And my guess is it's an answer that you weren't expecting on why the church exists. These verses give purpose to the ministry. The purpose of this new unity we have in the church. Let me read it for you. It says, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be now made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to His eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of the ministry of the gospel, according to this, isn't exactly what we naturally think. See, we naturally think the gospel is first preached so that men, women, boys, girls, all people of all different age groups, all different genders, all different everything, nationalities, tribes, tongues, all of that are supposed to know the unsearchable, incalculable riches of Christ for everyone to understand God's plan of bringing Jewish and Gentile believers together into this one community called the church. That, that, that's what we assume, and we assume that's where it stops at. But that was done for the purpose of making God's wisdom and his plan of salvation known to the heavens, to the angels, to the archangels, and even to the demons. That's what this verse tells us. It says the purpose of the church is showing that multifaceted wisdom of God to all of the heavens. We are showing them god's plan played out they're seeing it in us and what god does in us you have to think about this the angels have been with god since before the creation of the world they have literally seen it all they saw the creation from nothing they saw creating a perfect amazing unblemished world They saw the creation of creatures and animals and fish and birds. And then they watched God take dust and create a man. And then they watched him take that man, take a rib out and create a woman. They watched this play out. Then one day they watched an angel of theirs, one of their own, Lucifer, who had fallen and rebelled against God and taken other angels with him, go to God's creation, tempt that man to sin against him, and they saw man give in. And when man gave in, they saw a division that was created, a great divide between man and God. They saw God banish man from the Garden of Eden and become spiritually cut off from God. They watched as man's evil multiplies. And their wickedness grew and they only thought of themselves as evil all the time. The angels watched this. But then the angels continue to see that multifaceted wisdom play itself out as God called a guy named Abram who lived in a pagan country among pagan people and they wondered, why would God call that guy? And in the process, they saw God make a covenant with that guy, Abram, and they changed his name to Abraham. And they promised him that through him, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. And generation after generation, they watched things unfold. They saw the wickedness and rebellion rise up, and they also saw God's plan continue through those who were faithful to him. Then the angels saw God's wisdom truly play out in solving the problem that sin had brought into the world. How could God ever save mankind? Wicked men and wicked women wrapped up in selfishness and sin who were in rebellion to him. How could God potentially save them? And they heard God say something. You know what? I'm going to send my one and only son who will obey the law and my commands perfectly and become the perfect sacrifice to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And the angels sat back in awe as they watched that. And as they saw all the things happen, they saw him be crucified. But then three days later, they saw him rise again, only to be placed at the right hand of the throne of God, that someday he will return and wrap up this story. And in all of that, the angels are watching it all take place. And they watched, and they saw the men and women that Jesus had poured his life into begin to teach and invest in others and disciple others and proclaim the good news that all people could become a part of the family of God by believing in Jesus and repenting of their sins. The angels saw this unfold, and they saw the church begin to grow, and they saw God's wisdom, the God who they spend time with. They saw His wisdom unfold, and they saw His plan unfold to everyone and everything in all the realms of heaven. That God had this plan from the very beginning is even more mind-blowing. The church isn't just for the benefit of humankind. As we looked at back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches. One more word there with the Riches immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is done for all the ages to see and to experience. And according to verse 11, it's his eternal purpose. He's planned it all along. That is a beautiful thing to me. He is in control of everything. The plan of salvation, the mystery of the church, the revelation of wisdom that came across to all the realms of creation, they all happened according to his purpose. God did not have an oh shoot moment when Adam sinned. One of our favorite sayings that our little Asian princess Lily says is she goes, oh shoot. When something isn't going exactly right, that is her oh shoot moment. God didn't have one of those. He didn't go, oh shoot. Never happened. He had a plan from the very beginning. He didn't have to try and figure out how to get control back. He knew God has always been in control and his eternal purpose will always be accomplished. I told you up front that one of the key themes in the letter of Ephesians was building up this new community of people made up of all tribes and all tongues. But the only way that God could do that, the only way he could accept sinful people into his kingdom was through a sacrificial lamb that would wash away their sins. And there was only one perfect sacrificial lamb. Jesus was and is that sacrifice. God's eternal purposes were accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it was God's plan all along to do so. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but it's not me putting together the Baptist outline of three Ps. But Paul did it for us. First, he tells us about this mystery, and he talks about preaching the mystery. Then he talks about the purpose of the mystery, but the next thing he talks about is a privilege of the mystery. The privilege of the mystery that comes with the mystery. Now, the word privilege, man, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it has a bit of a negative context. Same definition, but it's been made negative in our society of late. And let me tell you, there's nothing negative about the privilege that I'm about to share with you. It's incredibly positive as a matter of fact verse 12 says in him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him see god accomplished his eternal plan by sending his son to die on a cross to sacrifice for our sins but only in christ only through faith in christ are people able to approach a holy and perfect god our connection groups have been going to figure or some sort of government figure that you were just enamored with how would you approach them probably somewhat timidly and probably even with a little bit of fear inside. I've probably shared with this story before, but way back when, before all of our kids, Christy and I would be able to go on these just fun road trips and just load up and go. Well, the Orioles were playing against the Angels. And I'm going to mention a name that some of you have never heard of before because that's how old I am. But his name is Cal Ripken, my favorite baseball player of all time. I wanted to be a shortstop, but I was left-handed, so that didn't work out well. The thing is, is as a fan they were playing against the angels we lived in phoenix it's a six hour drive no big deal when you don't have kids right you can just load up and do whatever you want and so went drove over there and went to the game my whole hope was to get an autograph of his there was a firework night so they kind of closed everything down early i was bummed i was walking out as i was walking out i looked down this hallway the doorways open had red carpet i'm like oh i wonder if somebody's gonna come walking out of there well guess what Cal ripken comes walking out the door I got so excited. I'm like, how are you? That's all I could muster up. And then the crowds swarmed us. Christy's trying to take a picture. Now, this was back before when we actually had film. And so she tried to take a picture. And when we got it developed later, it was me and his nose like this. That, that was it. So that's all I have from all of that. But all I could muster up was, how are you? I, I didn't have the boldness or the confidence to say anything else. I was completely enamored. Think about the God who created him and created you. And we have boldness and we have confidence to go and stand in his presence and and talk to him through prayer. What a privilege. And it's not based on your heritage. It's not based on your skin color. It's not based on anything else but the blood of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? And to wrap it up before Paul goes into that prayer that we're going to talk about next week, verse 13, he says, Hey, Remember the beginning I told you I'm a prisoner in chains for you? Let me wrap it up for you, this thought, this rabbit trail with these words. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. So then, therefore, so then, therefore, because of God's huge and amazing, awe-inspiring plan, the plan that includes you and includes me, Paul says, don't be discouraged. As a matter of fact, feel glory. Feel honored they are for your glory because the truth is if Paul had not preached the gospel he would not be in prison but you know else would have happened the Ephesians would not have heard the good news that saved their soul and Paul said hey I have to endure just like a mom endures childbirth in order to bring life into this world Paul endured the pain of persecution in order to bring new believers to Christ and you know what if you're a mom Or if you've invested in anybody's life, you know that it doesn't just stop. The pain doesn't just stop at childbirth. The suffering doesn't just stop at childbirth. And I'm not telling you this is a bad suffering. We suffer for our kids, we give up for our kids to raise them right. And even as that video said up front, even grandmothers still go, Man, did I do okay? Did I do okay? Are my kids walking the way they should? Did I invest well? We know that suffering doesn't stop. And Paul says, my suffering doesn't stop. But he also says this, and we know this already from Scripture, that following Christ is not easy. Please don't let anybody ever sell you short to think that following Christ is easy. He requires you to take up your cross and follow him daily. That means being willing to endure pain and persecution so that God's message of salvation can reach this lost and dying world. I truly believe we should feel honored that people that went before us, the others before us, that thought so highly of us and so highly of the gospel that they willingly suffered and sacrificed so that we could hear that gospel and experience the riches of Christ, we should feel that honor. And Paul knew that God was in control while he was sitting in that prison and he was working his will even in that current situation. And that he could tell the Ephesian believers to see it for their eternal benefit and not as something that was negative. So my challenge to you today is this is preach the gospel for a purpose bigger than you can imagine. Because Paul preached the gospel and look at the results. And counted a privilege to go to God confidently and boldly. All because someone who went before us preached the gospel and knew it was for a bigger purpose, for your eternal salvation. Preach the gospel. Leave a legacy. Continue to pass it on. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we are grateful for your plan unfolding. And we're even more grateful that we get to be a part of your plan. We're thankful for Paul being willing to share the gospel with the Ephesians, who, God, we know share the gospel with others, who share the gospel with others, and generations later. We're a result. We can look back and see each person that shared the gospel along the way to bring us into your kingdom. God, we don't want to take that for granted. And we know that you have made us a servant, that you have made us a minister of yours to go and preach this gospel, to go and proclaim it with both our mouth and our lifestyle. And that, God, you gave us this purpose to see your one church grow together. And what a privilege it is that you would include us in it all. God, may you have all the glory this morning as we praise your name. And it's in that heavenly name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna jump down here in the front, and I would love to talk to you. If you don't know about this Jesus that has given you these privileges, that these riches that continue to flow from him to you. If you do know it and you're struggling, trying to figure out, God, why do you do what you do? What is my purpose in life? Please ask him, pray with him. I would love to pray with you in it all so that you see who God is and how he is using you for his glory and your good. I'll be down here in the front as we sing this last song.